Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent technology analyst in my company, J. Arnold and Associates. I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, security, and several other areas. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another month. Hi, John. Been a busy month for you? Yeah. Hi, Chris, and good to be uh, hosting our listeners again. So welcome, everybody. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, n- Nothing is going to beat what we did What we talked about for last episode for the kind of travel I had in October, uh, that's for sure. Part of me says I'd love to do it all over again. And part of me says never again. Uh, That was just a lot of travel. And if if that's new to any listener out there, probably best just to check out the last episode uh, on that. But uh, yeah, Chris, so it was a light month, relatively speaking. For, for me, travel-wise, and I know same for you and coming out of Thanksgiving. But uh, we are here, and before you know it, we're, you know, heading into uh, the holiday season and end of year and 2024 coming up very soon. So a part of me says, let's talk about 2024, but I think we're going to keep that for our next podcast on what to expect. And, uh, yeah, I think this is a good uh, – a couple of events that we uh, can talk about that were in the mix the last couple of weeks. And uh, also, I'd like to say that we are continuing to look for new ways to reach our audiences. And uh, if you have suggestions, folks, we would love to hear about it. But it's one of my 2024, uh, I guess, predictions or, or certainly aspirations is to get uh, a broader listenership for our podcast. But we continue to do what we do. And as we say in the opening, Chris, we are two analog guys. And I think as the world becomes more built around digital technologies and, you know, the the, the looming uh, cloud of AI, for better or worse, it just kind of seems to be taking over things. And, you know, look, the, the news cycle last week was pretty consumed with, uh, you know, Altman and uh, OpenAI and going to Microsoft and then coming back again, firing the board. And I think it's going to be a harbinger of what 2024 is going to be about with AI. You know, is it going to be the force that we think it is? Or are we finally going to get a handle on what's needed to kind of make it safe and accessible um, and practical for, you know, the masses? Because there's a lot of concern around, you know, who should be driving it. Is this, a, is this in the hands or should it be in the hands of private companies only? Um, lots there. And I, and I think it's causing a lot of anxiety on a lot of levels for people, right? Right. I think it's causing a lot of feelings, anxiety certainly being one of them. Th- this whole drama with open AI has so many levels to it that if we started talking about that, we, we'd be doing a whole episode on it and we'd be far from the most informed insiders of it. But I think when we talk about 2024, which I think we're going to do next episode, that's our typical tradition is to talk about that in early January. There's going to be a lot of AI in it. 
And I'm sure when we talk about what we're coming out of 20, 2023 with, we'll probably say that we've reached some ideas about AI, but I think that's going to be the dominant tech story next year for, for sure. But yeah, it's been it's been super interesting. So, John, what so the two events we're talking about um, as a start, right before we get into our general 2023 thoughts, you uh, went to a session with Verint, and then you and I uh, spoke on stage and attended Von Evolution in New York. And I think there's probably a couple of interesting takeaways from both of these. So what do you think? Let's start out with Verint. Uh, I was going to go the other way. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Si yeah, simply because we had had a bit of a teaser last podcast that we were going to be recording another session of our podcast during the event, which we did. And uh, just to, you know, I, I, I've got a feeling it's a bit of a ping pong with the timelines for when we did these things to the timing of when this podcast actually comes out. But uh, yeah, I was thinking of going first to to, to Vaughn just because it's kind sure. of the, the more uh, it's the it, it just continues a bit from the last episode, and uh, uh, from for those who haven't been following Jeff's kind of patterns, and I, I don't know what else to call them, but he's been running this Vaughn evolution, kind of the next generation of his Vaughn. Uh, I don't want to call it a franchise, Chris. It almost sounds like it's a movie series. But that's kind of a bit of a feel. It has a bit of that feel to it for people who've known Jeff a long time. But being in New York, it was very you know easy for you for sure, and pretty accessible for a lot of people to get to. And you know, as we know, Jeff draws a fairly loyal crowd, which is what you want to see. It's good to see familiar faces, and I know you'll add a lot to that, Chris. Um, but what I really enjoyed about it is the unfamiliar faces who were there. For a lot of us, it's people a half or even less of our age doing new and interesting things. And that's why I wanted just, just to kind of tie that to the mention of analog versus digital, because our world is so different from theirs. And they, you know, these new entrepreneurs don't have an analog kind of DNA in their thinking. So it's interesting to see how they approach some of these problem sets compared to how we have thought about them in the past, right? Well, it's different. I mean, I think even though we're born to analog, we've, you know, digital's now been in some form, you could argue, at all, about half of our lives really is when it started to become dominant, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so effectively, we're kind of both, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, so you can't, there is some analog left. And believe it or not, it's actually pretty important, even in the world of engineering. You know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to me that analog engineers who are really good have a very premium price tag on their on their work right now, which is interesting because there aren't that many of them. However, it is interesting about Vaughn. One thing there's there's a couple of things I always find interesting about this. I'm always privileged feel privileged to be part of that. First of all, um, I wouldn't I call it a community more than a franchise, right? It's just an ongoing decades old evolving community of people who are very interested fundamentally in communications and communications technology and how that's all evolved. And, you know, the community plus Jeff has been involved in some of the most fundamental transformations, like the entire transformation of voice from analog to digital. 
but it's more than that, right? Jeff is very good at spotting trends and he has a very wide network. So you always feel like you're part of a community and you're always going to meet some interesting people and hear some interesting things. You know, even if they're not the most giant events all the time, I find it generally to be quite worth the time and happy to participate to the extent I can, right? Yeah, and it's it's you know there's a there's a loyalty there which I like, but it's it's more than just you know people who've been in the voice business and telephony for a long time, but you know in this group are some of the people who created a lot of these technologies and are kind of the pi- true pioneers of this transformation of voice from analog to digital and everything that's followed. So it what's really good about this is for people who glom onto this community that Jeff's kind of kept going is the access to have to these people to hear them hear their thinking about what they're seeing today and also kind of a, a bit of a, an inspirational you know space for people who are younger who didn't come from this uh space um but are leveraging a lot of the technologies that have come since and doing just very very different things i mean it was really interesting the the talks about uh use of video and just how for example for our generation video was a pretty premium application it just wasn't you know like oxygen and today it's becoming everywhere for everybody and uh it just makes the possibilities for for creative ways of communicate just much much bigger than it ever was before and it, it makes you rethink about you know why do we have voice communication? Where does video f- fit into that? In other words, is, is it just amplifying what the vo- voice is saying? Or is the video just a creating a kind of a whole new language of communication, which I think it is. And uh, that's something that was not in our world, that's for sure, when, when VoIP was starting to come along. Well, they used to be very separate. I, I was just thinking while you were talking, the tools that we use today to communicate like zoom which is what we're using are fundamentally video tools but they're universal communications tools in many ways and so it's like the ultimate phone system but with video too and that's also true of teams and webex and all these other tools and so video is just a natural part of the environment even if you don't use it all the time you could always turn it on right you could always share a screen and I really do think that for mass communications, you really can't do it without video anymore much. I mean, podcasts do it. There are niche areas that do it. But when it comes to the consumption of the of the mass market, it's really got to be video. And that reminded me of a session that was at Vaughn, which was very interesting, about using AI to produce sort of the run-of-the-mill videos that you have to do all the time. and you know, it did a pretty good job. Did you, did you remember that mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Yeah. And this is, again, you, you know, we're, when you layer in AI, because so much of this stuff has been done prior to AI being the driver. And it, it's almost like you forget that, well, AI wasn't in anybody's mind when VoIP was created. And it really wasn't when Zoom was kind of mass, you know, making it mass appeal um, but now AI becomes kind of like the the front end filter that everything has to pass through. And now you bring this level of, you know, automation into it. And 
it's just going to create entirely new, as I said, language around how we communicate because it's going to get really difficult to tell what's AI generated anymore as we know. And this, this is again, circles back to, you know, the can of worms that, that open AI has kind of left us to all worry about who's in charge. How is this going to happen? And just so folks know who, who don't know this community, we had a lot of people from the legal space there, attorneys, uh, people who really know the telecom world and how communications has been regulated in the past and all the challenges these new technologies are, are bringing. And it, it to me, it just you know comes to this fundamental rift between innovation and regulation again, because AI kind of has free reign to move. But when you've got lawyers in the room who are trying to do the right thing in their view, um, and they're just as big of a fan of this stuff as we are, you know, you realize that, um, you know, w- without a framework, these technologies can be very, very, uh, they can just go in so many directions. And if we just leave it up to private companies to do all the heavy lifting and innovating, you know, we're going to have problems. One of one of the interesting speakers that makes me think, Chris, was the lady who was who did the talk about this like social social network way of not so much dating but meeting people, and and the her diff, she was taking a diff, different approach to kind of validating your uh, you know your identity so you could be you know kind of have safe interactions with people, and it, it's just interesting how the consumer world is it I find it often does kind of precludes what's coming for the enterprise world. In other words, safer ways to communicate. So out of the dating space and the TikTok world, you know, they they have to have, you know, they have to have their own levels of comfort for doing things. And uh, I, I can't remember all the details from what she was talking about, but she was raising, you know, legitimate issues about the need to be able to safely, you know, not just communicate, but to connect with people through these online tools because this is the way people engage now. Yes, that was a very interesting talk. I I have a couple of comments, one on that and one on the legal. One thing that's been been really um, making an impression on me, listening to the last couple of years of lawyers talking about regulation, is that the the attitude's not that positive about what what, what is going to happen. Right, that some of our favorite and most successful regulatory lawyers just aren't that optimistic about any of this coming under control, right? <laughs> that uh, that uh, that always kind of sets me back a little bit, and because I've got to believe there's a happy medium to try to account for the for the good of the masses versus the good of the profits, but I just I don't see it. I don't see the focus or motion or strength in the area of trying to balance that. But anyway, the second thing um, about the safe uh, interactions, I actually think that's a really promising area. I don't recall thinking that necessarily the solution could be maintained as clean as it is when you start, because usually what happens is over time, all these things get poisoned. But it's certainly a great idea to think about it. And it's there's certainly a great need for more safety and more comfort in uh, interactions. In fact, one of the interesting examples of that that's playing out right now is the whole contest of threads, which is run by Facebook, ultimately, Meta, 
versus X, which is formerly Twitter. And, you know, threads, many people have gotten very disillusioned with X. Uh, and it, it has been getting more and more crazy over there. And so threads is seems like a pretty good piece of software. It doesn't have every feature that X has and not all of the good sources of information are over the line yet. But the growth is pretty phenomenal on threads. And it it seems to be there's a fairly strong view among the people who are on there is that we're going to try to make this better, more less toxic, less confrontational, more accurate, less, you know, completely crazy propaganda. So that's like a, a, a macro version of what I think that talk was about in person-to-person -person interactions. And so it's going to be interesting to see whether that general movement or desire grows with people you know does does that does that kind of resonate with you yeah it does it does and, and you know the, the 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 legal piece is um makes me a little cynical to think that it might already be too late to kind of once the kind of pandora's box has been opened with ai that it's maybe it's just too far along for us to get a real handle on it i kind of hope not i hope that we can but um, that's when that cynicism of the lawyers is probably well founded, and um, it's also ties to I think the bigger message that Jeff was communicating himself at the event, and this whole idea that you know you are in control of your own kind of personal identity, your own brand, the the way you can you know ultimately engage with people because that's what community is all about. You choose, you know, you use the tools that best work for you, but just remember, you know, it's you're making those decisions. Don't let others make it for you. And so there's a very kind of a personal choice, you know, free will, you know, vein that goes through a lot of what Jeff says, but he's tying it to, I think, the bigger picture of community and that, you know, we communities are about how people connect and interact and communications is fundamental to how we do that and that, i think that's always been jeff's kind of draw to the to initially to the telephony space which has now become all these other modes and ultimately you know in other words it's less about technology and what we're trying to do as people and i've always been drawn to jeff's message about you know keep keep it keep the humanity front and center of what we're trying to do because ai on its own is purely efficient but it, as we know, that's the analog mindset, right? Coming through again from us, Chris, you know, AI is just a technology. It doesn't have a soul. It doesn't, it's not, can't make good jokes, can't make good music, stuff that makes us human. And uh, I don't want to sound too, you know, you know, I don't know, alarmist about it. But I think, again, the digital generation that doesn't know from those experiences can, could end up, you know, could, could find themselves embracing a lot of this new technology, uh, not so much for the wrong reasons, but it may take them away from the things that make us human more than they realize. It could be. I I think I think at this point in the world, the forces of emotion are more are more effective than the forces of fact. Like, facts may be the wrong word, but of non-emotional thinking. And and you know the the media the media not the media but the technology. Any generation of distributive technology, of communications technology, tends to amplify 
what is what is out there to begin with and what's been happening is the amplifiers and distortion capabilities have gotten to be so exponentially more powerful than they used to be in terms of reach i mean i can be anybody right now and i can i can do the equivalent of sit in front of the microphone at it, you know, but we pick the biggest stadium in the world or a broadcast network or Madison Square Garden. I, I mean, I could be out there on TikTok and that's basically what I'm doing, no matter who, who I am. Right. And that's certainly the capability of it. And for many people, they achieve a part of that. So, you know, whatever barriers to entry were just kind of naturally there in the past to getting the word out are kind of not there anymore. Right. You know what, you know what I mean? It's oh, so totally. it yeah. makes it really hard to differentiate in the absence of official channels and the, and, you know, in the, with everybody having that giant microphone, it makes it kind of hard to differentiate. So you kind of may go back to your more basic instincts about things, which are probably going to be more emotional. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what, that's kind of what I think about. Uh, but I don't think it's so much generational. I just think that the the nature of communications is evolving because the tools are changing so fast and that is going to produce a lot of um, disturbance before perhaps the system balances itself. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see though. We get all these heavy thoughts out of a couple of days at Jeff's thing. So yeah, uh, it, yeah. it definitely gets mm -hmm. you thinking, right? I mean, I, yeah. there was another thing there I thought was really interesting was to talk about really, there were a couple of talks about like getting past the crypto craze and the bad name that blockchain and that equivalent technology had based on the crypto thing. And uh, there was one about blockchain using it to authenticate um, telephone billing accounts. Remember? I mean, mm -hmm. and SIMs, which was really interesting, right? Because that is a, a way of, of potentially fighting some of the very widespread fraud in that area. So that was interesting too. So you just get a kind of potpourri of topics that get you to thinking. Yeah. yeah. So this is, for those who don't know, I mean, this is, I, I, you could say it's a thought leader event, but it's really, it's just, a, 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 as you say, a community of people who have a common interest in communications, but it's a much broader kind of view of what this world entails then you'll find at other conferences for sure right there were sponsors to give it some commercial element but you know this wasn't there weren't these weren't pitches at all this is just really talking about the state of play and the format where everyone got like a it was a 10 or 12 minute uh yeah, spot minutes. right yeah. and then the music comes on and takes you off the stage so <laughs> no one got to monopolize it which was good um i did want to add one more thing for the for the ones who for those who want to actually hear about technology, one important takeaway to me was, I don't know why, but Elon Musk always turns up in these conversations. Um, all there were, we, I thought there was good airplay given there to all the major forms of networks to carry communications. So in other words, we, we heard from telcos. I mean, uh, T-Mobile was there speaking. AT&T was a sponsor. Um, we had a very good session about the state of broadband. We had a few sessions that touched on wireless and 5G. I mean, Dean Bubbly was there asking a lot of good questions and adding a lot of very good insight about where where that's heading. 
So you've got broadband, you've got mobile, you've got landline technology, and you've got satellite. And Doug Boney gave some very good insights on the state of play for that, because I hate to say it, but Elon Musk is very much in the middle of a lot of these conversations with SpaceX and the growing role that satellite can play in this world as, as these communications, as you said, Chris, become more and more distributed and needing to have, you know, real-time, near-real-time capabilities, big problems that engineers, you know, have been trying to solve for decades. And all of these, all these, you know, channels um, have a place in this universe. You know, when we started, Chris, there was landline telephony, and that was about it, right? There was nothing else. Now, it's just one of, I would say, four modes or channels that can carry all of these communications. And I just think, again, that makes for a much more diverse, but more, you know, complex ecosystem, right, for how communications happens. True. So before we get completely derailed in time, <laughs> right, because we could talk about this, it, you know, headline, it's an interesting set of discussions, right? Yeah. I did want to say we were up on stage, we did our 15 minutes, we tried I would say I don't know if it'll if we'll release a special episode. We have to see. I think it was our first time mm -hmm. live on stage. We were fortunate enough to have Jeff as a guest, so we might put out an extra episode. We haven't got the recording yet, so when we get it, if we do, I'll try to edit it together and see how it goes. Right, but we're yeah, we we did enjoy it very much and appreciate the opportunity to be up there. But I think. We've got to move on, right, the, the, to the next uh, topic, unless you mm -hmm. had one last thing that you wanted to add. I could, but I won't. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Did you want to mention anything about Verint? Well, that was the other conference I was at last uh, month, and hopefully for me that'll be the last one for 2023. Verint is in the contact center space, a uh, longtime vendor, <laughs> initially more involved with things like workforce management. But a lot of these companies have pivoted in recent years to go more AI. This is a company that is, is you know, they're, they're very successful. They may not be the household name of uh, Genesis or Nice, you know, in that world, but they have kind of carved their own path. They're profitable. They're, they have a pretty strong customer base. Anyways, they are the most, uh, to me, most heavily invested in the notion of, of building bots for the customer service marketplace. So it was very heavy on that focus uh, during the event. And it speaks to certainly the vision, but also the confidence they have in the ability of bots today to be intelligent enough with enough you know, AI horsepower to take on more and more tasks to automate, you know, workflows and engagements with customers. So, you know, the name of the game with chatbots in the customer service space is to automate service. That's really the biggest use case. And they t are taking the approach that they're developing uh, uh, like dozens and dozens of these bots that are each very purpose built. So rather than giving you a broad framework to say, build your own bot kind of thing, they're coming to market saying, you know, we have specific bots for specific use cases and they will blend them into whatever, you know, your needs are, right? So it will handle things, you know, like whatever subscription renewals, escalating a call, you know, uh, an inquiry from automation to self to, to 
to a live agent kind of thing. But the bots are all built around multiple like little things that are manual or are not very efficiently done. And so the more, obviously that's the idea, right? That the bots can take on their, their rationale is that you will save the contact center will save money in terms of, of uh, the cost it takes, not just in, um, in labor, where, where that's the biggest cost expense in uh, the contact center, but also in, in, in time saved. So in other words, you can, you know, deal with more customers in less amount of time and customers spend less time dealing with you. So that makes for happier customers who will buy more from you, all of that kind of logic. So there, there's a strong rationale to bring this into the space. And many of the other vendors, of course, are doing these things too, but they're, from what I've seen, they're the most, I think kind of betting the most on bots as the way to go. Um, it's a bit difficult message to digest past a certain point, Chris, because we have a lot of, I think we have some natural resistance to the idea of what bots are and can do, but in their mind, there's enough AI kind of DNA in their, in their capabilities that they're seeing the possibilities and they seem to be getting pretty good results. Well, that's, that sounds promising. My overall view of customer service is pretty dim. So, um, and we've talked about that before. We both probably feel yeah. that way. Yeah. So I think I think that anything that could potentially improve that kind of frontline service would be would be good if that's what it actually does. So the challenge though is is that it's emblematic of companies that try that are being very innovative. They're pretty much all, you know, a little further ahead of the curve than what the market is willing and able to adopt. So that's one of the challenges, you know, we as as analysts, we kind of get this insider, you know, front row view of what they're doing and they're living it every day and, you know, they are then they have good customer success stories, you know, people are having good results with these things. But, you know, digesting that message in a way that the broader market that is just kind of getting started with AI. That's that's the bigger challenge to me. That you know they have good technology. It's it's proven to a certain degree, not entirely, of course. But getting the market to see it, to buy it, to you know invest in it, it doesn't come as fast as you'd like to think. So there is always this kind of imbalance of what folks like us see and what the market can actually absorb, what the channels are actually able to handle in terms of selling you know, and working it into their business model. So it's, there's no guarantees. I guess that's part of the conclusion here, right? Just because you have really effective technology, sometimes, you know, you're too soon, you're too late, but uh, you know, it will, it will, it will come in its own course, but it's not gonna get absorbed as fast as you think, because I, I just, when you see what contact centers are actually dealing with day to day, this this is you know this is still kind of out there for a lot of them yeah i agree it's going to be adopted over time but my my response and knowing you spend far more time in that world than i do um so i'm not going to try to be an expert but you know i i i often hate being a customer <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you i mean it's it's not always that good an experience you know a lot Remember. of things you get aren't that good and then you got to call somebody and you got a problem. And there's so, you know, especially when it comes to anything technological, 
you just feel you just don't feel good and i don't know if that matters really to too many organizations when you get in touch with one where it does you really 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 see the difference but i think it's uh, you know as you to your point it's an area of investment versus any other area of investment right so you're going to prioritize your investments based on what you think is necessary to achieve all the metrics that you know an organization wants to achieve and if your if customer service is something that that meaningfully and demonstrably helps your metrics of customer acquisition customer retention customer satisfaction if that matters then you're going to invest in it especially if it's potentially a bot that will help other costs or make make the accuracy greater but it, it has to matter to you um yeah. it, right versus anything else you could take that dollar if you're a company or an organization and invested in right i don't want to sound like some professor here but that's that's kind of my take on it but i do think over time the there will be more and more bots applied because there will be generational upgrades to technology and it's just going to be probably a more efficient way to 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 provide the function you know but i don't think it's like oh we could just i don't think the technology's gotten to the point yet where it's like oh well we could just upgrade this and it's going to revolutionize the way we provide customer support assuming that's important to us i just yeah. don't know if it's really there yet but i think it'll get there yeah you i totally agree and folks if you haven't heard all of our episodes what you haven't well <laughs> you know you can first of all you can get any of them on our on our you know the website and the archives and the podcast sites um but we have touched on this in previous episodes uh in case you're interested so uh this is not the first time we've brought up this this thorny topic but you know as a way to take us out chris that also speaks to uh again it keeps coming back to the stuff i was thinking about at the beginning when you're in a contact center environment and that's just you know one slice of the world you kind of only think about that space and when you're making decisions as you say chris what's the best way to spend that dollar well, you know, just like contact center is 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 um, making noise about getting investment for their AI initiatives, every other line of business in an organization is also doing the same, right? Because AI is this horizontal thing that everyone wants a piece of, and it just comes back again to the, my, my just my thoughts on whether um, you know who's who's running who's driving all of this, because. If this becomes the model for AI adoption, that it's very kind of siloed, right? AI, you know, contact center does its thing, you know, communications folks do their thing and, and whatever, you know, HR is doing its own thing. More than ever, and I think this will be a 2024 theme, organizations need to have a much more kind of holistic view of what's their AI strategy going to be because you you just can't just keep throwing these pieces together and expecting it all to work because AI is just so transformative in its, you know, in its potential that, you know, it's, it's like a Frankenstein thing. You don't know what you're going to have at the end of the day when you just take all of these platforms and, and you start, um, you know, running, you know, chat GPT applications through everything. And before you know it, everyone, every communication you're doing is almost, you know, becomes uh, like auto generated. You don't know where, uh, authentic com human communication is coming from that that's a pretty that's not a place i think we want to be and so that's definitely a lot of food for thought and i know will be a big big focus for next year 
Right. I mean, I think that's going to be the focus of 2024. And oh, by the way, I did want to just take a few seconds. And I, I just want to say that, you know, the world of customer service is a really, really, really tough world to be in. That's a challenging job. There are many, many, many people involved in that world who really do try to help. And they may be uh, hampered by lack of tools available to them or lack of investment or the way the systems work and all of that. But I, I just want to say that, I, that that's a tough job and we know it. And for everyone who does try to provide customer service that that matters, you know, all of us customers are like insanely grateful because it really stands out, you know, would you, don't you think? Yeah. We're all customers, right? Of somebody. Yeah. So when you, when it's done right, it's so impactful and there's an awful lot of people, I think we're trying to do the best that they can to yeah. provide that service. So with that, John, as a final thought, um, is there anything like summarizing 2023? Any sort of, like if you had a theme for the year, what would it be? Big tech is getting bigger from all the events that I, I, I go to and see. It's getting harder, I think, for smaller companies to, to have an impact in this space now. You know, there have been more acquisitions and consolidation this year, as it always happens, right? But, you know, the barriers to entry when you come into the cloud communications industry have generally been low, but to make money and to survive, you, you really have to scale. And uh, I think there's, there's going to be, it's going to, it's just getting harder and harder for the smaller guys to kind of stay, stay in the game and, st and stay relevant. So uh, as a kind of an overall impression, I've been to a lot, most of the events I go to are from some, you know, the bigger uh, vendors, but you know they have their own challenges as well. But I just it just see you know it just seems to be that as cloud becomes the lingua franca for a lot of this stuff, it's a scale based business. You can't do it in a small way, and AI itself is a very much it's all about data, right? The more data, if you don't have a lot of data, you're not going to get much result with AI. And so this is not going to be a space that's going to have a lot of, I don't think it's going to have a lot of room for smaller players. And so when we see what was on tap at the Vaughn event with Jeff, a lot of these are really small businesses, you know, trying to get going. It's just going to be so hard to see who are, you know, how are you going to find a model that, you know, gets you to be big enough to be noticed, to make a difference. I don't know. I don't know that that's kind of a broader takeaway for me. The technology is always interesting, right? But it's just when you see how these companies, you know, the, the, the successful ones are big and getting bigger. And I think it's just, I think the other end is that it will squeeze out a lot of the smaller guys. And of course, that's where innovation lives. So we'll see where this all goes. But as we know, Chris, being the analog guys, we are, we've seen these movies before right? You know, with telecom being deregulated in 84. And, you know, I think these cycles persist. I agree. I think we're getting into a major technology cycle right now. I think that, I, I mean, I partially agree with you. I think it's, you know, with the funding environment and everything, it's hard, harder to be a small company. But I think, and you have to basically figure out how to align yourself with these massive forces that are, that are, that are controlling more and more of the market. So, you can't just go and, you know, being a disruptor and saying you're going to take down somebody like any of these big players is, I think, a more and more of a tenuous 
proposition. But so I think that's a good point. My my point would be in my world of workplace technology and real estate technology and all of that, that it's been kind of um, the year of getting back to, you know, back to the future or getting, getting to where I think the long term steady state is going to be. And I think 24 is going to be a year of reckoning with that. I think that the 2023 was for a lot of people kind of the first relatively full normal year after the pandemic. And um, I think that it's shown us a lot of trends that are here to stay, I think, and how they're going to be dealt with is going to be a lot of 2024. You know, what's the post, what's the real long-term post-pandemic view of work in the workplace. We now sort of know what it is and we have enough proof points to say it's likely to be something that you can invest on rather than think, well, if I invest now, it's going to change. So that's where I think we are at the end of 2023. Yeah. I think that that sounds about right to me. You know, we talk about this stuff all the time. And uh, if you're, if you have a, a taste for what future work might look like. If you want more of a taste of that, folks, we do have the Future Work Expo coming up in February, and Chris will be there. And then I've got my program largely in place. And so, yeah, these are the kind of topics we'll be talking about there as well. So, more to look forward to. You're looking forward to that, John. That's always a great program that you put together. So, yeah. honored to be uh, honored to be a part of that. So, thank you. So we watch this space here and we'll do the future of work in February. So we want to thank everybody for listening to us and commenting this year. We really love to hear from you. We appreciate your patience with our rambling and um, glad if it provides any value to you. And John, I just want to say thank you for letting me continue to be on the show with you. And we want to wish everybody a very happy holiday season, however you celebrate, and happy new year, because we won't be on the air again, probably until after the turn of the year. So we just want to wish all our listeners and our community the best. Yeah, well said. And of course, always great working with you, Chris. We've been doing this a long time, and we keep doing it because we like it, <laughs> and we we get along well. Nobody's fighting here, and we hope exactly. you enjoy what we have to say. So just as a final reminder, uh, you can access all of our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or where you pick up your podcast. They're on all, it's on all the major platforms. So with that, uh, yes, all the best for the, the, the season coming up when this podcast is released. And with that, I am John Arnold. I'm Chris Fine. Thanks again. Happy holidays and stay tuned in January for another episode of Watch This Space.